Well, good morning. I want to add my greeting to you, uh, to those you've already heard, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Buddy Lyles. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you're here to worship with us uh, this morning. You're catching us in the middle of a summer series that we're calling the Summer Mix. There's the mixtape. Um, many of you in here are, are not old enough to know what that is, that cassette tape, but that was my life. Like, that's my wheelhouse. So um, <clears throat> I'm glad that the mixtape is making a comeback, uh, though it's a playlist digitally, but the same idea. Um, we're going through the Psalms, various Psalms, and particularly we've uh, done more, uh, if you will keep the music theme, kind of almost the B-side psalms, some that you haven't heard before. We're not doing Psalm 23. Uh, we're not doing Psalm 139. We've done those before. They're, they're, they're rich, and they're classics, if you will, for a reason. But we also wanted to, there's 150 psalms, and we thought, let's, let's go through some of those that maybe are a little bit lesser known. Today's a little bit um, it's not quite Psalm 23, but, but this one, at least part of it, will sound familiar to you. But we're going through them because we've said there's a psalm for every season, including whatever season you are in right now. Even if you haven't been with us uh, the first few weeks here, um, whatever season you're in, if you could put a song title to it for your mixtape, what would that season be? And then realize that God can help you give voice to him from a psalm that hits on that season. We've gone through some psalms of lament. Um, we, we will go through a psalm of thanksgiving. Um, today is a psalm of confident trust. But whatever you're in, the psalms uh, in them, God has given us um, a way to give voice to those real longings the real hurts, the hopes of your heart in the midst of wherever and whatever times or season you are in. The Psalms give us permission not to have it all together. They invite us to come to understand God, but also invite us to come to God as we are, unvarnished, with no pretense. You don't have to use these and thous and cliches. It can be the real you meeting with the real God in the real time, including your times, which we began the series with Psalm 31, 15. My times are in your hands, Lord. And by times there, it means season. That could be a short stretch of weeks. That could be we're in a decade, whatever that is. My times are in your hands. And so there's an acknowledgement of that, that God is sovereign, but there's also a, but I want them to be in your hands because I know that you are my only hope in the midst of this. I know that you are my only help. And so that's the encouragement. If you will, the Lord's prayers, Paul's prayers, and Ephesians and Colossians, these are all great to help us know what to pray. But the Psalms particularly help us know how to pray. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't know how to feel, when you don't know what to put your finger on that feels confusing, disconnected, and it can help us, can put moods, our moods to music because they're songs. It can put our struggles and our celebration to song. And so a good summer mixtape can't be all slow songs and minor keys, okay? Uh, we've had uh, several of those thus far. So how about a little something 
more upbeat. That's what we're going to do today. Psalm is Psalm 16. I want you to hold off. Don't open your Bible. Uh, Connor, keep it on this slide, all right? Because what I want to do is I want first to just read it aloud before you and I turn to it on the screens or in your lap. I simply want you to listen. This is a Psalm of David. It is, David is once again in a time of trouble or perhaps reflecting back on a time of trouble. Okay, so I want you to resist the temptation to look at your device or your Bible. We won't have it on the screen. I want you to listen to the word of God through a man after his own heart, David. Particularly pay attention to David's tone, okay? Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me as in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, give, <clears throat> give us eyes to see the truth of who you are that give us orientation to where we find ourselves, that stir in us a desire to know you and the path of life that you will make known to us. And where we have a distracted attention that would keep us from seeing or hearing or applying, we pray, Father, that you might grant us grace for that, to be attentive, but also to be receptive so that we might not just simply obey your truth, but to find the joy in aligning our lives and tuning our lives with this song that you have kept for us. I pray that you would do more than I know how to ask or imagine through this message, particularly as we simply give attention to your word. If there be any hurtful way in us, Lord, any anxious thought that distracts us and pulls us, would you... Help us deal with that now, remove that, and lead us in your everlasting way. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, now you can turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 will begin in verse 1, just again to get the context. And it'll, now you can put them on the screen, verse 1, 
Psalm 16, verse 1. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David seems to be writing this in a time of trouble. But I want you to let your eyes run down the page. Now that you've heard it, I want you to let your eyes run down the page, and I want you to notice these words. Verse 3, excellent or majestic or glorious. Also in verse 3, my delight. Verse 6, pleasant places, beautiful inheritance. Verse 9, glad, rejoices, dwells secure. Verse 11, path of life, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Though David is in trouble, the tone of Psalm 16 is settled joy. He's in trouble of some kind we don't know. There's something he needs to be kept safe from, to be preserved from, or to be preserved for. And yet this, the theme of this psalm, the tone of this psalm is settled joy, confidence, and contentment. Sam Storm says, these are the words of a profoundly satisfied man. Would settled joy or profoundly satisfied describe you right now? He emphasizes delight, pleasure. These are things that we often don't associate with. Get your life lined up with God. Delight and pleasure. What to you is the ultimate pleasure? What's the supreme satisfaction for you? What's the one thing that would be your joy of all joys? What is that? For confidence and contentment, which both seem to mark David here, for confidence and contentment to mark your life, how do you get there? What's the secret? Well, David's prayer gives us some breadcrumbs, if you will, along the path of life that God is inviting you and me to know that leads to fullness of joy, pleasures forever, ultimate satisfaction. First, in verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at confidence. You can throw that Next slide up. We're going to see David's confidence in the Lord, but confidence. And as he's taking refuge in the Lord, I've just said that these eight verses are are showing him taking refuge, showing that I'm putting again my confidence in you, Lord. And it's the refuge less taken of the not easily shaken. I want you to notice, uh, if you've been paying attention Three out of the four weeks we've gone through, and this was not on purpose. I didn't say, let me figure out all the Psalms that mention refuge and taking refuge. It wasn't on my mind. And yet, this week I'm like, this is the third of four messages where David's in trouble. David is sad. David is, um, you know, in, in a, a rough place. He needs deliverance. He's hurting, whatever it is. 
And he says, you are my refuge in one of the Psalms and be to me a refuge. And what we're going to see is his confidence in the Lord. He's expressing it, but he's also exercising it. He's exercising his trust and faith that the Lord is indeed the refuge that is often not taken. But for those rare few who do take refuge in him, we become part of the not easily shaken. I just want you to see the progression. Verse 1, look at it. Preserve me, O God. Why? Why should God preserve him? For I take refuge in you. I'm, if you will, I'm pushing my chips in on you. I know we don't talk about Vegas and gambling, but that's the idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refuge in you, but he is troubled. Verse 8, what's the last phrase of verse 8? Look at it. It says, for I will not be shaken. There was something shaky going on in his life. There were things that would be discombobulating, disconcerting, messed with you, keep you up at night, whatever it is. He says, I need to be preserved, Lord, so I'm and I'm taking refuge in you, so you do your preserving work, which I know that you do for those who fear you, those who put their trust in you, those who say, I will express and practice and exercise my confidence is in you, not in any other thing, not in any scheme, not in manufacturing my own way out, in you, for in you. He's holding God to this. Saying the reason why, that's what for means, the reason why you should give ear to my cry and refuge to my troubledness is I'm taking refuge in you. And by verse 8, he's saying, I will not be shaken. That is a progression not to ignore. And that is, for us, as I mentioned, breadcrumbs. There are breadcrumbs in these verses of what it looks like for you and for me to seek security to, to seek refuge, to take refuge in him and how that not only expresses confidence, but grows our confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. Where does that kind of security come from? What's from what the Lord has graciously developed in David's life before he came to this point, and he's developing further. As God revealed to him who he is, who God is, and as David has practiced trusting who God has revealed himself to be, as he's seen the Lord uh, protect him and provide and guide. The Lord is the securer of David's confidence. Look at verse 2. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I want you to know this. We don't see it in our English translation. In verse 1, preserve me, O God. That is El, that is short for Elohim. That is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is that general name of God, but there's nothing general about it, as he is God, a supreme, sovereign creator. That's who he's appealing to first in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, I said to the Lord. Is it in all caps in your Bible? Most of you probably. That's a clue for us that that is the Hebrew name Yahweh which is the covenant-keeping, the personal covenant-keeping name of the Lord. Why is that important? Well, David is part of God's chosen people. They're chosen not because of their loveliness or their impressiveness, but actually the opposite, so that it would be God's splendor, power, and glory that would shine through him picking a piddly people with not much to, sh 
to show for themselves and somehow, even in their obstinance, work through them to bring about the deliverance ultimately through the Messiah he would send through them. The Lord, Yahweh, that first Lord there, is saying God, it reminds them of God's faithfulness to his covenant, that even when his people abandon, he will not abandon. He's calling to the Lord who will not abandon his word, his promises, or his people. That's important. In your marriage, when you're having a spat, or you're having a series of weeks where things are, are, are thinning out, what do we need to go back to? We need to go back to the covenant we made with one another. We said, you know, and here too I pledge you my faithfulness or whatever version you said. But I hope it wasn't, hey, the sunset is great today and I love it and I love you. That is not a vow. Sorry, that was side pastoral stuff. But you made a covenantal vow to enter into covenantal relationship. He's calling on the God of covenant who keeps the covenant. And that was to be a covenant that would bless his people, so to be a blessing to others, on and on and on. David appeals to him. He says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. That's the third word for God, third name, and it's Adonai. Now, some of you only know that because you know an Amy Grant song that eventually mentions that. But the word, think of that as ruler, master, Lord. So God, preserve me. The God who is creator and sustainer, preserve me. I'm appealing to you, my covenant-keeping God. You made the covenant with us, your people. You made a covenant with me, David can say, that there would always be a Davidic king on the throne, that my kingdom, my throne, my family line would continue. But he says, you are my Lord. You call the shots. I'm in a troubled spot. I'm going to take refuge in you. I'm not going to have a plan B. I'm not going to choose a different option. You are my Lord. This is a reorienting prayer. He's seeking for God to remember the covenant. And he's saying, and as you're doing that, God, I want want to say it out loud, hear myself say it. You are my Lord. No matter I want to take the reins, you are my Lord. And then he says, the end of that verse I have no good apart from you. Now, that could be I have no goodness in me. There's no goodness. uh, There's no one who does good, no one who goes after good. None of us is good in terms of righteousness, right standing with God. Yes, that would be true. But I do believe, particularly in this context, because we see so much delight and satisfaction, the very goodness of my life, enjoyment of life, good things to enjoy, the ability and capacity to have a settled joy, getting in on the good life, it is only connected to you. There's none of that apart from you. So they're both true, but I think particularly that's what David is emphasizing. When I ask you, what's the ultimate satisfaction? Really what I'm trying to say is, what for you is that's when I would have arrived at the good life. And David says, no other answer is a satisfying answer. No one else, there is no good found apart from you. My goodness is not found apart from you. And then verse three, he says, because of that, because you are the God, my Lord, and um, you're the Lord who keeps covenant, and you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Therefore, those who are your people, you enjoy them, 
I enjoy them right alongside of you. Now, we don't have time to camp on this at all, but I think this is something that is, uh, trub- should trouble us of how this uh, is not quite the indicator in our day. Just delighting in, he says, they're the excellent ones, the majestic. They're not excellent or majestic on their own. It's because God put his shine in them and on them. And he said, so there's just something about, I love all people, but particularly I delight in them, God, the ones in whom you delight. And I just ask simply, does that characterize you? Because delight would be followed through on by getting together, by rejoicing with those who rejoice. Even, it's not enjoyment, but being thankful to be able to be there for someone to weep when they weep, or you're thankful that they're there with you to weep with you when you weep. He's saying, because I'm connected to you, then any people who are connected to you, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're family. And there's something that puts a glow in me when I'm around them, and it's because they're connected to you. He said, but there's the opposite, which is verse 4. He said, there are those who don't pay you the time of day. Uh, Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So David is, he's basically saying what you and I have. We hit a little bit of trouble. We hit a little bit of disappointment. We're, We're just waiting and waiting and waiting on something to come through to fill in that blank of the next step in your journey that thing that will deliver satisfaction. But when it's not coming, when it gets sideswiped, when it gets taken away, when it gets threatened, we're physically threatened, emotionally threatened, relationally threatened. He's really saying what Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. How long will you waver between two opinions? It's God or it's a God of your own making. And he says, I'm not gonna go that route. But he is saying, just like all of us, every one of us has that as a temptation. Now, we're not like them. We didn't build, we didn't craft things out of metal or wood. Um, We can kind of keep that cloaked, but make no mistake, if there's anything that we pursue in such a way to say, now, if only I get this, or if only so-and-so accepts me, or if only you know, this happens in my career, then I will be satisfied. We, we are constructing a God of our own making that will collapse. I love Isaiah. He's very sarcastic about all this. He says, hey, why don't you let your, your wooden God deliver you? He says, I know you'll probably have to go and, and knock another, another two by four to keep it up, but let your God deliver you. David's not getting sarcastic. He's actually inviting us to see, particularly if we do belong to the Lord, we didn't set out to disown God. We didn't set out to ignore God, but we were were seeking a satisfaction. We were seeking a resolution, and we were seeking refuge, taking refuge in whatever we fill in that blank with. And he says, the sorrows of those who do that multiply and multiply and multiply. You remember back in the day, there were those commercials, and I think it was like, uh, they started almost like a cops episode, and there's somebody running, I think, from the law, and basically it's like, you know, no one ever, <clears throat> no one ever set out to, to be a, a criminal or a drug dealer, 
But basically what they're saying is, you just drift that direction. And David is, is kind of saying the same thing for us. Whatever that is for you, if it is your children's golden achievements in life, if that is it for you, that is an idol. What David is saying is not shame on you, shame on you, shame on you, as much as he's saying, I'm right there with you. I want you to hear sorrows is what will become of that pursuit. It's only going to multiply. It's only going to build. Again, I mentioned the, you know, the person being pursued by the law. They didn't actually set out their life. Probably they thought, well, you know, I'm going to be a mid-level marketing manager. I don't know what they thought. Firemen, right? They had aspirations, but those got squeezed by life and the the satisfaction wasn't coming. So we just said, we got to got to go after it, get a quick hit, get a quick high, get a quick escape. None of us in here, if any of you are struggling with pornography, you didn't set out and said, I just want to be a, a guy who just is all up in pornography. I'm saying guy, guys, because we struggle with it. But you also know the, ver- the truth of verse 4 right now, if that's where you're trapped. And he invites you out of that trap. But to continue in it, you already know what he's saying. It's diminishing returns. It's fists full of regret. Not, and that wasn't what we were pursuing, sorrows. It was gladness. It was desire fulfilled. It was satisfaction, but it will fail. And in fact, he says, That's, I'm not going to do that, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take I'm not going to give them a glance. I'm not going to be about their worshiping them. I'm not going to take their names on my lips. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The line, I love this. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. We don't have time to go through this. In the book of Numbers, I believe, God tells um, the, the priest, hey, other tribes, they've got like the boundary lines of their land but you don't have that because I am your inheritance. And David, David had lands, believe me. <laughs> he, that's why Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because of David's lands. And he's using that imagery to say, even that, Lord, is not my, my portion, my, what fills me up, where my joy is. That's not what holds my life together. That's not the good life. It can be good things to enjoy in life but you are my portion, my chosen portion, or the portion of my inheritance. You yourself are. And so therefore, he can be preserved from that pursuit, chasing after those things that ultimately will end up in disappointment, in anxiety, in emptiness. David says, no, I'm pursuing you. My confidence is in you. I take refuge in you. You are my portion. Um, throw up the slides with Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he said this in a sermon. I don't know if it was actually on this psalm or not, but when David used the language of preserve me, he's possibly talking about preserve me from physical attack or uh, political coup. We don't know. But I think also contextually, this from Spurgeon is a great prayer. Because most of you aren't going to go home and go, well, we kind of need to dig another moat around the castle. We're going to be attacked. That's probably not happening, right? But we could be, we could need preserving from that pursuit of that thing we think will satisfy us ultimately. 
So listen to this two, two slides of his prayer. He says, preserve me from the world. Let me not be carried away with its excitements. Suffer me not to be before its blandishments. What that means is it's flattery and like uh, marketing. Okay. Suffer me not to be before its blandishments, nor to fear its frowns. Preserve me from the devil. Let him not tempt me above what I'm able to bear. Next slide. Preserve me from myself. Keep me from growing envious, selfish, high-minded, proud, slothful. Preserve me from those evils into which I see others run. He's talking about that in verse 4. And preserve me from those evils into which I am myself most apt to run. What, what is the evil that you're most apt to run after? What's the blank you will go headlong to fill in? He says, keep me from that. Keep me from evils known, those things I'm aware of, and evils unknown. I think that's a great prayer, particularly meeting us where we are, about taking refuge in God, particularly saying, Lord, I want you to preserve me from running that way because I'm just as capable as those who are the godless, who don't belong to God. Verse 7, I bless the Lord. This, I'm going to come back to this because there's, a, there's a, a secret here. There's a key. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So he's meditating on God's word. He's in prayer with the Lord, and the Lord is, is guiding him. He's giving him wise counsel. We see this all in Psalm 119. David over and over again, he says, Enlarge my heart, for I shall run the way of your commandments. I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Open my eyes, and I might behold wonderful things of your law. He is meditating on God's word. That's the first part. But then as he's done that, as he's treasured God's word in his heart, what's happened is, even in the night watches, and occasionally that, that, that thought is coming, that decision is weighing on him, whatever it is, because he's treasured God's word in his heart, he can say, I'm not going to run the way of plan B or a God of my own making. I'm coming to you. And he says, my heart, that practice treasuring of your word is now going to come out in my thoughts. It will be a grid at least through which I can ask the right questions or see the trouble spots or know where I'm temptable to forsake God for a quick hit, for a quick boost, or I can replace him. I can be tempted to replace him. My heart, interestingly, it literally is my kidneys. That's all I'm going to say. It's just interesting. But no, what he's saying is, like, that is so worked into his inner man, meditating on his word, that it can be, uh, you know, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. He can, he can weigh out the decisions, the choices, the tempting options of life and not go the way of those who run after another God. And then he says, I've set the Lord always before me. This speaks of a decisive orienting his life. This is a little bit Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In this instance, God's his right-hand man. God's got his back. God's got his front. God, now you can put in Psalm 139. Wherever I go, I can't flee from him. He's with me. Therefore, my confidence is in him. Taking refuge in him will not prove empty or in vain. Because of who he is, I shall not 
be shaken. So that's David's confidence. And now we're going to end the psalm with these last three verses where we go from God being, the Lord being the secure of David's confidence to David's heart swollen with gladness and contentment that most of us struggle on a daily basis to have. We're going to learn David's version of the secret to contentment. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, because I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Some of you say, my glory rejoices. It's literally chavod. It's literally the heaviness, the substance of my life. All that I am rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. The security I'm after, the satisfaction I would desire, they're found in him. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Most of us wake up each day. I've said this for years. It just seems to intensify. Most of us wake up each day with a low to mid-grade discontent. Some of us take it from low to mid-grade because the first thing we do is we reach for our phone and we start looking at our social media feed and it intensifies. How many of you have ever done that first thing in the morning and you're like, the joy of the Lord is my strength? Probably not. But regardless of what you do, that is, that is almost our default mode. And I think it's becoming increasing our discontent. That could be frustration from your uh, disappointment of your past. It could be because of distraction in the present, like every day, just I'm always distracted, and so I don't ever really feel settled, that settled joy, that settled contentment. Or particularly, he speaks to the future here as well, the present and the future. We also filled with anxious concern about how is the future going to pan out? And what's the future going to hold for me? And does God hold me in now, and does he hold the future for me. There's a contentment that he expresses. He says, I'm glad, I'm rejoicing, I'm secure. Confidence is in God. My contentment is found in him. And it's fulfilled, verse 10, he says, because at least in this present moment, you're not going to let me die in this moment. This is partially fulfilled in David's life. At least in this moment, God didn't let him get squashed or killed, but he does die. And this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Peter, in his uh, sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2, you can look it up. He quotes verses 9 through 11. And he says, David, well, he didn't say it exactly this way, but David didn't fully know what he was saying. But here's what David said would be true. That God would not let his Holy One see corruption. That he would not abandon him to Sheol, that death wouldn't hold him. And Peter says that became true of Jesus. And so therefore his death, it was to pay for our sin. God says, yep, it is finished. Yes, paid in full. And the resurrection is God stamping. Yes, indeed, what he did paid for our sin. And Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that he would take on God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to if we take refuge in him and trusting him as our savior. He says that's the ultimate fulfillment. 
And we can know contentment because we can know that if we know the one who's risen from the dead, who died for us, we can know that our future is secure. It's secured because of that death and that resurrection. Uh, Paul, I, I talked about the, what the secret of contentment. Paul mentions this in Philippians 4. I want you to see um, that <clears throat> Paul had that, that same idea. The next slide, I think it is. There we go. Um, this is all about rejoicing even in trials. Uh, I call it joy always, uh, even from the joint, because Paul is writing this uh, from prison. He's in jail. And yet, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Even from the joint, even in the pit, wherever you are, you can rejoice because circumstances are not what determine your contentment. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now last you revive your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's saying, thank you, Philippians. You guys have actually been there for me personally and actually financial support. Next verse. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Next verse. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. Any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. In other words, my circumstances don't dictate my contentment. And then the jock verse that you thought was all about Steph Curry scoring, scoring 45 points. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See what is possible? The secret to contentment is understanding that it's not your circumstances, but the one who is with you in the circumstances. And you can only do all things, whatever that is, but particularly going through valleys and mountaintops, going through having a lot and not having squat. That's what he's talking about. So put it on a t-shirt, post it on your Instagram, fine, but realize where it comes from and realize that it's inviting you and me to know that kind of contentment, that you don't have to have God fill in the blank with the thing that you've made ultimate and that I've made ultimate. Well, let's wrap up. I want to tune, tune in. Uh, if you've ever gone to an orchestra, uh, you'll, you'll, if you get there you know, before it's happening, uh, a play, they'll do this. You'll hear them tuning. It's pretty wild, right? They, they're all kind of you hear the bassoon and the cello and all these, and eh, it's kind of dissonant, but it, you start to hear it, they get in tune. And I think this psalm uh, is, is a way for us to tune in to what the Lord is inviting you and me. He's, he's saying, here's the key to contentment and confidence in me, no matter what comes your way, and ultimately to know satisfaction and joy to develop the confidence in the Lord and to learn contentment. Let's tune our, our lives to the key of Psalm 16 three ways. Number one, who or what is your real go-to? What's that ultimate satisfaction? Seeking refuge and security, significance, seeking ultimate satisfaction in anything or anyone other than the Lord is idolatry. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. It's actually as much for us as it is for him to be glorified. It's also for us because that's where life is found. Not in gods of our own making. And idolatry is, again, not making some wooden or metal thing for you and me, but it's making a good thing, a good gift of God's an ultimate thing. 
and it will ultimately leave you anxious, empty, restless, discontent, and at some point blaming God that you feel unseen by him when he's never taken his eye off of you. David says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Some of you simply need to hear that warning and then hear God not crushing you with that, but lifting you out of it, inviting you to know his forgiveness, to know his grace and his mercy. Augustine said, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are ever restless till they find their rest in you. Where are you most tempted to make the tragic exchange of no longer going after God, but the created thing instead of him, the creator. Second, contentment is never found in circumstances or achievement. Remember David's circumstance in verse one, he was in trouble. Paul's circumstance in Philippians four, he was in jail. Nothing wrong with trying to go, hey, I'd, I'd love to improve my circumstances, but realize if that's in the blank, it will let you down. It will not be ultimate satisfaction. And the third, and this is the main thing, the path to life that David speaks of in verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. It's not a performance track, but a delighted friendship with a person. Joe Stowell Stowell said, followership is not a project, it's a person. If Christianity is dull and boring, if it's a burden and not a blessing, then most likely we're involved in a project and not a person, a system, not a savior, religion and rules rather than a relationship. Psalm 25, 14, and this is, I think, has been in my mind as I've gone through Psalm 16. It's not in your circumstance, uh, excuse me, not a performance track, but a delighted friendship with a person. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. The word there, friendship, could also be translated the counsel or the secret. It's the idea of intimate friends who know things about one another to a depth and a discretion that others don't know. And God gladly invites us to know that this path of life is not a bunch of rules, and if you can just hit these hurdles, now you're, now you're good. It's not a performance. It's a person who invites you to a delighted friendship. We get in trouble chasing after other gods because we think life with God is boring and rules. This is saying that doesn't hold water biblically. I don't know who you think God is. I don't know where you've learned it from, but learn that he's a God of grace and mercy and generosity who has no problem delighting. He didn't need to create us because he was kind of lonely or wanted something fun. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. There was perfectly beautiful, loving, self-giving community, always. But he invites us to be part of that community that is known by him and knows him and knows his blessing, the blessedness of being with him. And so he invites you and me. We want to know ultimate satisfaction. We want to know what the good life is, the path of life, fullness of joy. He's saying it's in a delighted friendship with me. Friends who share things that are intimate. You get in on, he says in Psalm 25, you get, he tells you the covenant. Jesus in John 15 says, hey, I used to call you servants, but now I call you friends because I'm letting you in on what God's doing. And he says, greater love. He can invite us to this friendship that will last forever. 
He says, greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friend. And that wouldn't matter except for verse 10 in Psalm 16. He was raised. And because of that, not only is our present can have stability, our, all of our life can have joy and satisfaction, but our future and our hope is secured by him. I simply want to say, I don't know if you are in a place of settled joy or just all over the map, but God's inviting you, just like he did uh, in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You're tired of running after the other things, filling in the blank yourself. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and not follow my rules. Come unto me, a person, and I will give you rest. And that rest is really part of that satisfaction of delighting that he is with you. In his presence is fullness of joy. I'm going to have Eric and the team lead us in singing the blessing from Numbers. If you would stand. And this will be how we uh, end today. This will be our prayer, song, benediction, because I know you're ready to go. Actually, I'll pray for a moment while he's getting ready. Lord, uh, grateful for your invitation to be free from empty pursuits. Lord, we, you give us all good things to enjoy, so it's not bad having money or having friendships or having a, a promotion. All those can be good things, but Lord, if we make them ultimate things, if we make them ultimatum things, Lord, we've, we've misstepped. We need to be brought back. We need to be in tune with you. Thank you that you're the God that sings the song of your grace again and again, sings the song of your invitation to know your presence with us, to know fullness of joy. We thank you that we can know that when we've come to be known by Jesus and we come to know him. As we sing this song, Lord, may we not only delight in the ways that you are a blessing to us personally, that your gifts are blessings to us, but Lord, that you've intended for us to be conduits of your blessing to others, not only to our family, but to those around us. As we go, Lord, may this song tune us into your heart for those around us to know you as well. In Jesus' name.